Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 214 of Dogcast Radio. This podcast is our December 2019 show and as such is our Christmas show. You can find this with all our other podcasts on our website dogcastradio.com. Today we feature two inspiring dogs, which I hope will warm your heart. We'll be hearing from J.C. Ski about his dog Frankie, the biggest dog that ever was. Frankie was awesome. He was a Jack Russell Terrier. I know he was a puppy mill puppy. He was probably the runt of the litter. Hmm. He was named after Frank Sinatra, and he lived to be 20 years, four months old. Wow. We'll have a festive, feel-good edition of the Dogcast Radio News. In Georgia, America, Chica, a lab mix, also stood on her hind legs to nose and paw at the doorbell of her home, from which she had been accidentally locked out. And before all that, I'll be talking to Tess Eagle Swan about her life with her rescue dog, Kratu. Kratu is no ordinary dog, and this strikes me as another example of the right dog and the right person coming together, despite the odds, and making the world a better place. But just how did Kratu come into Tess's life? I had another dog called Maya and I wanted, she's a wolf dog, and I wanted to give a home to a rescue dog and I rescued a lovely puppy called Paco who fell in love with Maya and um, I wasn't part of it. They were very happy together and I thought I really want a dog that will be my dog and bond with me and interact. So I asked a friend if she came across any large breed puppies um, Maya's a big dog, and so it had to be large breed. had to be a puppy so that they would um, bond together and grow. And I'm very much into training and socialising, and my friend said yes. And then one day she sent me a photo of um, this little gypsy boy holding a puppy, a very filthy little grey puppy, and she said, he's yours. Oh, I've taken, I've rescued him. He was found with his siblings in a cardboard box. They'd been abandoned outside a gypsy camp. And that was the day she chose him. Yes. Yeah. And it was just meant to be. Yes. Yes, it was. Absolutely. Um, he went to stay with her. She fostered him and I trained him via WhatsApp. And I used to see videos and I'd tell her what to do and what not to do. And I used to sing him songs and talk to him. (laughs) Yeah. And when he actually arrived after all his vaccinations and the journey over, I walked into the van and he was there in a crate on the bottom. And I said his name and I lay down on the floor and he looked at me and it was he knew my voice. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very emotional. Yeah. Oh, so how did he then settle in with with your two resident dogs? How did that go? He was incredibly naughty. He always <laughs> has been. Yeah. <laughs> he really, really made me pull my hair out lots of times. He was <laughs> he's just always been a clown. Yes, he was he was fine. I've got some of the funniest photos ever. I actually followed his footsteps. I I, I wanted to know what I had. Um, the other dog I had was a Romanian Shepherd rescue as well. And um, I thought, what have I got? I need to know more about these breeds. So hmm. I decided to go to the camp 
And I flew over to Romania and I said to my friend, we're going to the camp. And she said, well, it's really dangerous. And I said, I don't care. I want to see where he came from. And this is when I started learning about the Romanian shepherds and the, the breeds, what they're bred for, what they do, where they come from, how they're treated. And we went to the camp and um, they pulled out his mother, who uh, they had said um, she died. Hmm. And she was in a terrible state and she had another litter. And they had these little puppies and they said they were going to cut a tail off one of them. And my friend stopped it. And... Um, to cut a long story short, he now lives in my house. He's much <laughs> bigger than Grey Two. Yeah. He's called Raffi and has a magnificent tail. I rescued two of them. I rescued them, Mum. And it always brings a tear to my eye. It always makes me cry because I saw this broken, poor, beaten, starved female and her teats were long and saggy and mm. it was awful she was a, a puppy farm dog um you know a, she had a litter every season and i it just broke my heart and i said i'm i'm going to help you and i did and yeah. it still makes me cry to yes. this day she's in scotland now yeah and raffi's sister gabby is in um she's in france raffi's with me and I rescued another three sisters with Kratu. One died and two are in UK. Mm. That was the end of a puppy production line. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, so she's, she's got a much happier life now, thanks to you, hasn't she? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And so tell me about what Kratu's life was like before he came to you. Did, did he have this you know, pretty bad start as well? Was he badly treated? Well, he was he was five weeks old when he got taken. Mm. Um, it would have been fifty fifty whether he survived. Yeah, he could have died of parvo or distemper. He could have been beaten and killed. Um, he could have died of so many things that I, I dread to think the how many dogs live and survive. If he had have survived and the gypsies had kept him. He would have been chained and that would have been his life on a chain for the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah. I met his uncle. Hmm. His uncle was chained oh. and um, he had a very bad head injury, but obviously where he'd been beaten. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Kratu was incredibly lucky not to suffer that fate. He was very lucky to have been rescued that early, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it changed his life because... He started to have a socialising and training, yes. which helped shape his life to who he is now. These dogs are not pets. They are working dogs. Not all dogs. By taking them, you know, having giving them the education early enough, that doesn't mean they're going to be like Kratu. He's a one-off. He's got a unique personality. And it's a combination of things with Kratu that's made him who he is and what he is now. Yes, yeah. Um, all, any dog I have, the minute they come into my house, they start going to training classes and we go out and we do things and um, it's it's so important. Yes, yes, I absolutely agree. It's, if you're going to have a dog, they need to have enrichment and, you know, their, their emotional and uh, mental needs need to be met just as much as the physical you know, exercise oh, needs. Absolutely. 
Yeah. The problem with the Romanian shepherds is they have a very strong guarding gene. Mm -hmm. So with the best will in the world, a lot of people who do rescue them, even as puppies and bring them into their house, they do what they are meant to do and they will guard. And they don't really work in a lot of homes. Mm. Um, two of mine guard in the back garden. Yeah. Um, three of mine have got their Kennel Club Gold Good Citizen. Wow. Um, two of mine are assistance dogs. Two yeah. of mine are therapy dogs. Um, I can take any of my dogs out in public. Strangers can come up to me. They don't guard. Yes. Yeah. But that's, I have worked. Yes, I would say hard. that takes a lot of work to to teach a dog to socialise the dog and to teach the dog kindly what you expect from them, doesn't it? Yes, but altogether, it's a different story. Yes, oh, yeah. um, I'm yeah. very careful where I go altogether with mine. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me about um, Crater and how he um, is your assistance dog. How does he assist you? I'm autistic. I find lots of things very hard. Kratu mm. being with me, um, it he gives me support, mm. um, lots of grounding. Having somebody next to me that can also get me out of somewhere if I need to, if I've become overwhelmed. Yes. There's lots of things. It's very hard to go into it. He has to do special tasks for me and he does them. And... Um, most of all, it's, I mean, sometimes I can't leave the house. Yeah. I do end up leaving the house. It might be four o'clock or five o'clock, but I will leave the house because he needs to go out mm. or mm. I need to do some training. But otherwise, I wouldn't go out. So his needs and loving him, they, that helps me. That's yes. something so important for me. Yeah. Yeah. That his well-being, that makes me overcome my anxiety, my fears, my worries. His needs get put above that and that makes me function. Yes. Yeah. It's it's the magic of a dog, isn't it? It's the that amazing empathy and just being with us, they calm us down. And as you say, you feel that need to meet to meet their needs. You know, it, it only overrides yes. your, and it, your panic or, you know, whatever, anxiety and it gets you out there. It's just amazing. Yes. Mm. Yes. They're, they're very powerful healers. And I, I believe in if you have a dog, you've really, as you say, there's, there, it's not just about taking it for a walk. There's so much more emotional, mental, physical, so many things. That, yeah. To give a dog a, a good balanced life. Yeah, definitely. It takes, takes a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've certainly done that with Kratu. Um, so, so tell me as well, because Kratu actually, he, he'd made it out of Romania and he'd found this new life and he'd found love with you. But then he flew back to Romania. So tell me about that. Well, I would say, and I think I'm correct here, he's the first dog in the world to ever fly back to Romania. Wow. Because he went to Crufts and he went viral and he's been seen by millions of people around the world. As much as I love my Romanian shepherds, I do think there needs to be a lot more awareness and education. Mm. And uh, I try and help raise awareness of, of the work that needs to be done with these types and how hard they are because they're not easy dogs. Also, I wanted to go back to Romania because I'm really about force-free 
reward-based training and I wanted to show people this is what you throw away, this is what you chain up, look at what this dog's done, yeah. look at the potential of what you actually have when you do it with kindness and love and training and education. Yes. So there were several reasons. Um, we were invited to a university and we went to a lecture for animal psychology students um, mm. and it was amazing. I, I have the most incredible photos of Kratu with all the students. I mean, they loved him. and I bet. Just to see this dog known for guarding, the breed types known for guarding, in a room full of complete and utter strangers from his home homeland and, and just interacting with them, that made me very proud. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. It's definitely, it's, it's so much to be proud of, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We also met people that are doing therapy work over there. Mm. So things are changing. We met um, a, a, a friend who's a reward-based trainer and he is an animal behavior consultant. Um, he does all sorts of different things. So things are changing and this is so important. It was hard to see dogs in shock collars walking, not shock collars, sorry, prong collars walking yes. about. Awful. And um, I didn't like that. But when we were... We were filmed by two TV news stations mm. um, and it was amazing being in a park and people walking past and doing a double take <laughs> and they're not used to seeing a dog like Kratu out and uh, then a group of children with their parents and I said, do they want to stroke him? And they were like, wow, yeah. well, okay. And um, they filmed us with the, these children, which is, is just unheard of, for, Yes, you know, yeah, oh, children that's... to be able to come up to a dog that loves them and is happy around them. Yeah. who loves children. He does yeah. therapy work with children. Oh. So we were in the newspapers, we were on TV stations, and I wish the Romanians shared more about Kratu because he is the most famous Romanian rescue dog in the world. Yeah. And I think they should be really proud of what he is and where he's gone and what he's done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, definitely, definitely. Because I mean, you also you've you've been to the European Parliament, haven't you? That was amazing. Yeah, that was another proud moment with Kratu. Yeah, um, a wonderful woman called Maria Slough. Um, she made a film about the stray dogs of, uh, of Romania, and it's heartbreaking. People really should watch that. She's done um, there's three films. She's an incredible woman. And it's that was the screening was at uh, the European Parliament, and I'm pretty sure Kratu's the only Romanian rescue ever again in the world to have gone to European Parliament. And people kept saying to us, "We we've never seen a dog in here. How did you get him in?" <laughs> but he did have clearance, and he was allowed in. Mm. But I've got a photo of him with the with um, the panel. Uh, there was um, a, a big discussion. A lot of people are trying to improve dog welfare and how they're treated. Um, and it was just to see him there, it's like, wow. Yeah. How did you get there, Kratu? <laughs> what are you doing there? I, I never quite believe what we do. Um, so that's House of Commons, European Parliament. He's, he's quite an ambassador. Isn't he? Yes. So tell me about that, the House of Commons, because that was quite recent, wasn't it? What was that about? What was, you know, what was the, um, the aim of that? 
That's um, for an organisation called APDORG, All Parliamentary Dog Advisory Welfare mm. um, Group. And um, it's about trainers being regulated, which trainers need to be regulated. Yes, yes. Um, and it was very interesting. It was, it was a great talk. It was a great evening. As usual, Kratu had his place in front of the panel. <laughs> and I'm so proud of his impeccable manners. He yeah. is just an absolute delight to take out to places. Not only does he love to meet people, um, he saw some friends, um, Beverly Cuddy from Dogs Today magazine mm -hmm. and um, Wendy Kruger from Wood Green um, Animal Charity because we train a lot with, um, we've done a lot of behavioural work with Wendy mm -hmm. and it was part of a Wood Green Rescue Dog Agility team that um, made Kratu famous and go viral on the internet. Then we sat next to Wendy and opposite Beverly and he's just, okay, they're my friends, I shall go to sleep now. And he just lies down, <laughs> completely relaxed. Yeah. And um, it, it, he's amazing because when something's finished, he knows, it's, he looks at me and it's time to go home. And he, he took me straight outside and then we got in a taxi, we got on the train. And when we come off the train, I have, I'm amazed at how he knows exactly where the car is. And it's, we're going up here, turn over the steps and down the other side and straight down here. And there's the car. I want to go in now. And he just yeah. wants to go. <laughs> Bless him. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's lovely. Yeah, I don't know if it can he smell it or, but he's just he absolutely knows the journey yeah. and he, he takes me on it. Mm. Yeah, it must be such a, a reassurance for you. Oh, absolutely. Um, that makes me. I, I, I have autistic meltdowns. It's I get very overwhelmed and. Kratu knows where we go. We're going home, and he takes me home, which is really important. So. If I'm a bit overwhelmed, it's a very spaced out feeling when it's an autistic overload. Uh, and having him there, it's, uh, I will manage, I will cope, I will yes. get home. And it's, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I mean, I'd, I'd never do anything like that mm. on my own. I just wouldn't do it. it wouldn't, no. I couldn't. No, no. So he obviously... You know, to us, to, from a human point of view, he does a lot of work, although I'm sure to him it's play. But when it is sort of downtime, when it's playtime, what does he like doing then? Stealing. <laughs> Stealing food he shouldn't have. Sausages. Mm. Always sausages. Kratu loves to have things he shouldn't have. Mm. He's incredibly naughty. He watches me and he watches me where I put things. And he will help himself. He's all about self-rewarding. <laughs> um, he does a lot of therapy work. And uh, there's a special toy I use for in between working with the children. And um, I give him this toy. It's a squeaky, congy thing. And he loves it. And I, I, I don't know where it is at the moment because he's watched me put it away. And he's obviously found it and taken it and done something with it. He, he loves to help himself. 
Well, why not? And I, I don't mind. No. I, in my house, I believe if you're clever enough to find it, then you can have it. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's not a bad <laughs> I like that. I could live with that. <laughs> I found it in the fridge myself. I'm having it. <laughs> Apart oh. from sausages. Yes. I'm, I'm still a bit miffed about sausages. <laughs> there was a truffle salami I bought for the trip down to Cornwall for my daughter's wedding. Hmm. And I went in the bathroom to brush my teeth and I came out to an empty truffle salami packet oh, <laughs> and um, I think he thought that was a really lovely treat for him I must have packed so he would just help himself to it and yeah. um, <laughs> save time yes. isn't it now yes, oh, yes. Bless him. <laughs> excellent excellent so I mean he sounds amazing would you say that sort of you have obviously improved the life the kind of quality of life that he could have expected if he hadn't made it over here to you would you also say he's improved your quality of life? Oh, he's he's changed it. He's changed my life. Mm. I never had love in my life, mm. um, unconditional love. Um, living with a wolf dog, Maya, is quite different to Kratu. So, yes, I do have other dogs, and they all love me in different ways. Mm. But, I mean, for example, when I come in or, or when – when we come in and we've done something, Kratu doesn't want to, he's not interested in the others. He will come in, he will go to his bedroom and go and lie down and go to sleep. Mm. Um, he's he's there for me. Yes. It's an incredible bond. The others are much more together. They're, they're more pack-orientated um, family group. But Kratu's my right hand boy yes that's it he's with me he he doesn't like it if I go out without him he doesn't have separation anxiety but he you know he just expects to come with me and um he that's that makes him the ha the happiest dog in the whole wide world if I say come on we're going mm. and he goes out with me and, and even if it's just to a shop or anything if I have a really bad day and I can't face people then we'll just go in the car and sit in the car and go for a drive. Yeah, yeah, and just be and there. And he's happy with that. Yes, yeah, I bet. Um, we've, we've, we've talked about so much of the things that you've done and it sounds like an amazing partnership you've got there and an amazing dog you've got there. I know that you're passionate about sort of telling the world about Kratu and, and telling them, you know, the possibility that every dog has. I'm going to hand over to you now. Sort of, what do you want people's takeaway from this to be? What do you really want to say to them today about Kratu or about dogs in general? What What do you want to say, Tess? Well, go and rescue one. Rescuing Kratu changed my life. It changed his life. If you have a dog, whether you rescue one or whether you buy one, research the breed. Find out what you've got coming into your home what the animal's needs are. This is so important. Yes, absolutely. If you have a working type dog, then it's not going to be happy sitting on the sofa. You will have issues. You will have the dog destroying things. If you've got a really active lifestyle, you know, you've got to work out what you want mm. and then do your research. It's so important. And educate yourself. Yes. Find absolutely. out about a bit about dog behavior, about dog training, canine body language I know what Kratu wants and what he says because I've, I've studied body language mm. and it's so important I understand his needs yes yeah 
it's not a one-way street is it yeah i've taken him to the vet recently he's he's actually very well in a very good shape but there is a slight slight bit of pain that needs to be investigated and i think a lot of people wouldn't even realize their dog had that pain but he's indicated to me that that, that it's there and i can read him well enough to know and it's being checked out which is um which is really important so mm. you know educating yourself about what you have and how to grow together yes yeah definitely it's, it's so so important yeah and yeah. if people want to do therapy work and i've really got to say this not every dog wants to do therapy work mm -hmm. you have to look into it a bit more than just taking a dog somewhere does the dog enjoy it make sure your dog has an out your dog needs to be able to if it's had enough maybe your dog's having an off day it doesn't want to be patted by people you need to be you need to understand your dog and to be able to take it out of that situation and um make sure your dog's really happy doing it if yes. Kratu didn't enjoy what he did i wouldn't do therapy work with him mm. and mm. it's become quite fashionable a lot of people are putting their dogs into therapy work and i see lots of photos of unhappy dogs and um it makes me sad because it should be about enjoying yourself the the dog and the human and the people that you visit yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there because it is about you know as you say know what you're bringing into your life because it's a wonderful thing to have a dog if you do it the right way it's wonderful for you it's wonderful for the dog or it should be wonderful for the dog i think sometimes it isn't but as you say if you go into it with your eyes open and you know what you're doing and you can understand the dog and you can meet its needs that's when the magic happens isn't it absolutely i can't believe i've ended up with five dogs and the funniest thing is is i have a wolf dog who's got a touch of carpathian wolf in her dna hmm. and i've got four carpathian shepherd crosses which are all born and bred to guard against the carpathian wolf and i don't need to tell you who who has the rules with the iron paw in this house <laughs> and yes it is her she is in charge of her boys and that makes me smile yes <laughs> i find that very very funny <laughs> it's not easy Mm. I don't walk in public with my dogs all together. I rent a secure field. I do go the extra mile to yes. give them what they need. They're not your average, ordinary, everyday dogs, and I treat them accordingly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I have incredible dogs because of it. Mm. But it's, it is hard work. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, you, you've got to put the, the work in and know your dog and know what they need and... and, and meet their needs absolutely and I, it's uh, i think that's a great message to to put out there um where can people find out more about you and kratu we are on facebook um we are on twitter kratu has a website kratutherescuedog.co.uk um we're on instagram if you google kratu mm -hmm. he's all over um social media you can find us and um, he has people who follow him from all around the world in different countries. And every day he has messages. And it's amazing. The latest one's from India. He has a lot of followers in the States, in Australia, New Zealand, the Philippines, 
Iceland, Norway, Sweden. Oh, I, I asked everybody once. It's it's quite an extensive list, and they've all heard of Crater and seen his video from Crafts, and people talk to him. Yes. And yes, I might help him with his floofy paws and his typing sometimes. <laughs> but um, I am pretty sure I get it right. What what he says. Yes. Yeah. He's incredibly loving. Yeah, you just interpret him. He yes, has I a know. big heart. <laughs> yes. He yeah. has a very big heart, and he just loves people. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't. I've never known a dog that adores people the way he does. Mm. And he meets people, he turns around, he looks up at them, and then he turns his back to them, sits on their foot, puts his head back and goes, hello, <laughs> and I'm Mr. Crater. <laughs> and it is, it, people just fall in love with him, and they stroke him, and he just melts into them. Yeah. He yeah. makes a lot of people happy. Yeah. Oh, lovely, lovely. Well, I hope one day to meet him. He sounds incredible. Um, and you I'm, will. Thank you. And I'm I'm so glad that you and Kratu found each other and you have this this lovely little world now and, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger world as you spread the word. So, you know, I'm really pleased for you. Well, as I say, um, we made impossible become I'm possible. Yes. An autistic woman with lots of issues, terrible traumatic past, a dog from a gypsy camp with no tail. We've um, touched hearts around the world. Kratu sounds amazing. And I'm hoping that if Tess and Kratu are at Crufts next year, we can meet up. In the meantime, I'll be keeping up with them via their website and social media, to which we have links on the Dogcast Radio website. I like dogs. You always know what a dog is thinking. It has four moods. Happy, sad, cross and concentrating. Also, dogs are faithful and they do not tell lies because they cannot talk. Mark Haddon You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News. Today we have a festive feel-good edition and to start with... A puppy always raises a smile and warms hearts, but what's better than a puppy? Better than a puppy? Uh, not much is better, but how about two puppies? How about a whole litter? And better still, a whole litter of Labradors. And what about one of the biggest litters of Labradors ever born? Mum, Bo, who lives in Kent in the UK, is descended from a Crufts champion, and by the time she was five weeks pregnant, it was estimated she would have five or six puppies. As her due date approached, owner Leah Barrett thought there might be eight pups on the way and anticipated an eight-hour labour. But Bo produced seven pups within 40 minutes of going into labour. However, the going was not all smooth, and one of the puppies became trapped in the birth canal by the placenta. On delivery, he was not breathing or moving, but just like that iconic scene from 101 Dalmatians, Leah managed to revive the puppy, who is now fine. Leah had done her research and used suction equipment to suck the fluid out of the puppy's lungs. But if she had not been prepared and ready, it could have been a different outcome. Yes, even at Christmas, perhaps especially at Christmas, we need to remember what a serious and often risky business canine birth is. Thankfully, in this case, all pups and mum are now doing well, and the final head count was seven boys and six girls. On to another Labrador now. One who has been sworn in at the state attorney's office in Chicago, USA, as an emotional support dog. 
Hattie, who is two years old, will ease the emotional strain of being in court for those who are young or have mental health issues. She will attend up to 200 cases annually. Hattie was partly trained for her role by prison inmates, and to be sworn in, she stood up on her hind legs and placed a paw across a law book as an oath was administered. In Georgia, America, Chica, a lab mix, also stood on her hind legs to nose and paw at the doorbell of her home, from which she had been accidentally locked out. After several attempts, Chica finally got the doorbell to ring and was let back into the house with the whole thing captured on doorbell cam. And though Chica was lucky, it highlights the need to check that all the inhabitants of the house, including the four-legged ones, are tucked up safely in the house. Yes, especially during those winter months. Of course, while it's winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, Australia is having summer, so there was no risk of a stray puppy feeling the cold, but all was not as it seemed. A puppy mysteriously showed up in a backyard in Wandiligong, a rural town in the Australian state of Victoria. But actually, it was not a dog at all, and DNA tests revealed it was a dingo. More than that, he's an Australian alpine dingo, an endangered species vulnerable to extinction because of inbreeding, hunting and government eradication programmes, according to the Australian and Pacific Science Foundation. The pup has been called Wandy and is now being cared for at the Australian Dingo Foundation. And the hope is that eventually he will join the breeding programme and help avoid the breed disappearing altogether. That's great news, and it's worth finding a picture of little Wandy online, because he is adorable. In the UK, MPs will be debating banning the sale of fireworks thanks to a petition which has attracted 200,000 signatures. There have been some heartbreaking videos online of dogs in great distress due to fireworks, which reach a peak in November in Britain, with fireworks night on the 5th. But the bangs and disruptions seem to last for much of the month. It's not just pets who are affected, but farm animals, wildlife, and indeed some people are upset, and many organisations, such as the RSPCA, almost all vets, and the British Horse Society, would like to see a ban in effect. The British supermarket chain Sainsbury's didn't sell fireworks in any of its stores this year. So let's hope this is a taste of things to come. We'll be following this story in 2020. Now to our very last news item of 2019, and it's a very happy dog. Moby, a border collie and Great Pyrenees cross, has cerebellar hyperplasia, meaning part of his brain is smaller than usual and can cause him to fall over. Hang on, this is supposed to be a feel-good edition of the news. You can't end it with a poorly dog. I'm not, because although Moby has problems, he has learned to use a wheelchair, and in it he dashes around all over the place, just like any dog. That sounds more like it. Yes, and Moby's family reckon he is the happiest ever. And you can visit his Instagram account, Moby Wobbles, to check out his happy smiling face for yourself. And on that happy note, that's all from the Dogcast Radio News. See you next time and next year. Having a dog will bless you with the happiest days of your life and one of the worst days. Sometimes a dog comes into your life whose effect on you is so huge it's practically immeasurable. I hope you have or have had or are going to have such a dog in your life. The dog who had such an impact on JC's ski was Frankie, the biggest dog that ever was. And their story is beautiful. I'm talking to JC Ski today. Hi, Joe. 
Good morning, Julie. Hello, England, <laughs> land of Parliament and the Beatles and Monty Python. Don't, and don't I understand mention... you have dogs and children there as well. We do. We do. I say don't mention Parliament at the moment is a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of an. It, I would say in joke, but it's it's a joke that's gone around the world at the moment. But there you go. We like making people laugh. <laughs> it's the rest of the well, world. Let me try that again. Though I'll take Parliament out. How no, about no. that? <laughs> Thank you. I tell you what, if you could really take Parliament out now, that would be a trick. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'd be the new hero of the United Kingdom. Absolutely, mate. You'd be more, more you'd be bought more drinks than you could drink. <laughs> there you go. Um, but thankfully, I don't know. I could drink pretty well when I'm uh, got it going. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, we're not here today to talk about politics or parliament or any of that nonsense. We're here to talk about something important, which is dogs. And we're here to talk about your book, Frankie, the biggest dog that ever was. So so tell me, first of all, about the real Frankie, because it's, it's based, a true story it's based on him. So tell me about the real Frankie. Frankie was awesome. Um, he was a Jack Russell Terrier. I know he was a puppy mill puppy. He was probably the runt of the litter. Mm. He was named after Frank Sinatra, and he lived to be 20 years, four months old. Wow, excellent. That's a long yeah, life. I'll That's tell you, he, he was a tough guy. Um, that dog never knew fear, not a day, not a moment in his life. Mm. Oh, yeah. What a, what a wonderful dog to, to have in your life. So, wow. Yeah. Um, now then, so... How did he inspire you to write the book? When did you start thinking about writing the book? Well, I'll tell you, I've never written a book before. Hmm. I don't um, advise anyone to try to write a book. <laughs> uh, if you're thinking you're going to write a book because you want to do this and it's a hobby and you've been thinking about it for years and you, you want a little advice, it's real easy. Don't. <laughs> it, it will challenge your soul. It will challenge your beliefs in yourself and your creator in ways that you've never imagined before. <laughs> Um, it's it's a really really difficult thing to do. On the other hand, if you thrive on uh, self loathing and um, rejection, yeah, then try to yeah. write a book. That maybe that'll help you out because that that's the road that you go down. But to answer your question, when Frankie died at the age of twenty years and four months, uh, my daughter Jordan was very young. She was three or four years old, mm -hmm. and. You know, losing a dog, first off, is absolutely heartbreaking, as yes. so many people know. Mm -hmm. And to try to explain to a child what happened, um, there's really not that much out there. You know, beyond the, the Rainbow Bridge that everybody knows about, this subject has not been written about very much. I mm -hmm. mean, case in point, when I was at the library a few weeks ago, I asked the librarian, you know, she's been there forever, and she knows every book inside and out. And I said, can you recommend a book? that a child can read after losing the family dog. Julie, she was searching for about five minutes before mm. she came up with one title. Wow. Okay, and, and I, I, I got that book, and it's a charming little book, and it, it talks about the dog going to heaven and what it's like to be in doggy heaven. But it's very, very light. It, it really, you know, just barely kind of, you know, um, uh, it touches the subject a little bit. And if you've got a very young child, you know, it may be helpful. Um, but what I did is when I wrote my story, I, I wrote the end chapter last mm. uh, because I came to this conclusion. Um, having to put a dog down, mm. as so many people know, it's so heartbreaking, yes. you know, and to yeah. just try to, to explain the, the love 
that is required to, for that. Yeah. You have to ask yourself this question. Is your dog your best friend? Well, of course he's my best friend. Mm. Would you do anything for your best friend? Of course I'd do anything for my best friend. Well, anything can mm. be unpleasant. Yes. Anything can be heartbreaking, okay? But what your best friend is asking you to do at that point is to remove the pain and suffering that they feel in their body every day mm -hmm. and hold it in your own heart for a little while. Yeah. And yeah. you have to be a best friend to do that. You have to, you have to love the dog more than you love yourself. And that's really what being a best friend is all about. Yeah. And, and Frankie gave me, you know, it, it's like I call it, 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 it's the mostly incredibly true story of a little dog <laughs> who believed he was big. Mm. And it's chronologically correct. Uh, as far as I could figure, he went from home to home to home, and he touched the lives of so many people that he came across. And the central theme of the, of the story is fear. Mm. Because like the old man said to the little boy one day, he said, son... You could be too old for a lot of things, but you're never too old to be scared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought Frankie would make a great role model for children who are facing all sorts of fears and different things to be scared of in their life. And so I wrote this cradle-to-grave story where, you know, Frankie kind of always has this mantra. He, he comes back to the saying, if I'm here, then I have no fear. <laughs> I'm me. And that's all I need to be. Mm. And children can understand that. And I know that they can understand that because this past Friday, mm. I did my first public reading of Frankie, the biggest dog that ever was, at none other than the Baltimore Ronald McDonald House. Wow. Which, by the way, is the most international of all the Ronald McDonald houses. They have children and families coming from around the world because the Children's Hospital Network around Baltimore and Washington, D.C. is extremely well-known. You've got Johns Hopkins. You've got, um, you know, so many other places uh, where children come when they're facing that, that situation mm -hmm. where, you know, they have an illness. And I'll tell you something else. That was the other thing that kept me going uh, through writing this book was the fact that my wife was, I'm not going to give her real age because she got <laughs> mad at me first or got mad at me last time when I did this, but she was, she was considerably older than most women who would have their first child. Hmm. And there were some very sobering conversations that I had with doctors. You know, you're, the chances of, uh, of this or that, the chances of mm. a heart problem or this, the chances of, you know, whatever, Down syndrome. So I am so grateful to God uh, for, you know, providing me with a healthy child who I'm able to keep safe and, and watch her grow every day. Mm. And, you know, my heart goes out to those parents who, you know, whose whole world is, is turned around, turned yes. upside down with the news that their child is, is facing, you know, a, a serious health threat, a serious health issue. So, you know, the question becomes how, you know, who, who teaches your children courage? Mm. You know, and, and how do they do that? Um, so, you know, this is a this book is a good uh, role model for that. Like I said, yes, it sounds lovely. Well, Frankie never had any fear, not a day, not a moment in his life. Mm. And he, you know, so he comes back to this mantra: "If I'm here, then I have no fear. I'm me, and that's all I need to be." But here's the here's the part where my book becomes very different from any other children's book that you will come across. Mm. Um, so many times people have asked me, well, what age group have you written this book for? What, what age group are you targeting? Well, 
I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Um, as a father, you know, I, I realized that if you're reading to a child who's three years old, God willing, at some point they will be six to ten years old. <laughs> so, yep. you know, having a book that you can read different different chapters and different, different ideas, the book gets bigger as it goes along. It, it starts out with this, you know, little puppy who's getting picked on and finally decides, hey, I'm tired of going to bed hungry every night. I'm going to do something about it. And then it, it becomes bigger. The, the gravity of the story, the gravity of the chapters gradually becomes bigger. He goes from house to house and he faces uh, changes and he's dealing with loss. And he, you know, he had an owner that he loved and now he doesn't have her anymore. And he, he, you know, as a child would maybe, you know, who's in foster care or going from home to home, Mm -hmm. you know, they have to realize, okay, you're giving something up, but you're also getting something new. And if you look at it with a positive attitude, you'll be better off for it. Um, You know, another thing, about this book. And, and first off, I want to mention that, you know, I've talked to so many people along this journey of mine, and so many people are like-minded as myself. They believe dogs are indeed gifts from God. Mm-hmm. And I believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you consider the relationship between canines and humans is the oldest and arguably most successful relationship in the history of the world, as far as an interspecies relationship is concerned. Mm-hmm. And dogs know things that we don't, and they see things that we can't. And it's always been that way. They've been our protectors. They've been our eyes and ears. So I'll share this uh, little note with your audience. Our dog knew that we were pregnant before we knew we were pregnant. Oh, wow. How about that? Yeah. yeah. My, do- my my wife was over 40 when she delivered our, our first and only child. Mm. A couple of weeks before we went to the doctor, you know, Frankie was real independent. He would lay down on a bed in the corner of the room or, you know, he'd do his own thing. Well, a couple of weeks before uh, we found out, he started following my wife around everywhere. And he didn't want to lay in his own bed anymore. He wanted to be next to her. And he would be, you know, in between us in in bed at night. And, you know, she almost rolled over on him one time. And wherever she went, he was sure to follow. And this was going on for weeks. And then, you know, one hot day, I will never forget it. It was the hottest day in Baltimore that year. It had a uh, heat index of 106. It was a Friday afternoon. We go to the doctor because my wife is complaining of... uh, uh, like indigestion hmm. <laughs> indigestion oh yeah the doctor says we you're pregnant and we go <laughs> whoa and we're like well how pregnant well we, we're not sure about that either six weeks or six months wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, long so and, and that was a friday afternoon we wouldn't know the actual test results until the following monday so that was a big piece of news, mm. and I decided to write a chapter about that. Uh, like I said, I, I kept this book chronologically correct. And Julie, full disclosure, I'm a man, which means <laughs> I've never actually delivered a child. I've never been pregnant. Mm. Okay, but I, I'm going out on a limb here, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I, I, I think for many women before you have that you know that joyous moment where you're calling your friends and your family and giving them the wonderful news sometimes that news is so overwhelming that you just start crying it's mm-hmm. like oh my god you know this this is a big deal everything's going to change yeah. so you know I, I write that into the story you know and my wife comes home and she starts crying and Frankie says what's wrong i knew you were going to have a baby aren't you happy oh. and she says well you know mostly i'm scared and Frankie says, hey, 
I know things that you don't. Mm. I see things that you can't. I'm the biggest dog that ever was. I will be here for you and for your baby, too. Everything is going to be okay. And that quiet little courage rubs off on the new mother-to-be, and her fear and anxiety are eventually replaced with joy and excitement. So, you know, again, the idea that the book gets a little bit bigger as it goes along. Mm -hmm. And, And then the next chapter... Actually, I think it was, it's the same chapter. You know, Frankie comes back to this mantra to keep his fear in check the whole time. If I'm here, then I have no fear. Well, one day, um, the baby, his, his, his little, you know, girl that he protects, you know, mm. every day, he comes up and sees her and sniffs her and stays with her. If, he, if she's laying down, he's right next to her all the time, right? Mm. So one day, the baby's not there because my wife took her to the, uh, to the doctor very early one morning. And Frankie says, you know, well, what's going on? And I say, well, this or that. And, you know, he's, he tries to quell his fear again. He says, well, if I'm here, then I have no fear. This time, the fear didn't go away. And then he figures out, ah, when Jordan is back here, then I will have no fear. And he comes to realize that he loves and cares for my daughter more than he loves and cares for himself. And that is an example of being big as well. Yes. Because, you know, every, every kid wants to be big. What does that really mean? Well, a, a big lesson is when you realize that you love someone else more than you love yourself, you're getting bigger, you know. So yeah. um, I, I think it's the, the the book has you know little life lessons delicately woven into most of the chapters. Um, I think I did a nice job um, finishing the book and completing it. Uh, it's you know obviously you know he passes on in the end, but he passes something on to all the people that he met, and I, I think I think your readers will really love it. Yeah, um, I and, think so. And before it gets sad, there's a lot of things to laugh about. <laughs> um, my dog was so cool. Um, you know, whether he was dealing with bullies or, or coping with loss or whatever, there's a chapter where he just totally makes the dogs next door into his own personal fools. <laughs> you know, they'd come out and they'd be barking at him every day and going nuts and wanting to get through the fence and, you know, rough him up and stuff. And Frankie gets them to just run into each other and bang into each other <laughs> and bark at themselves. And, and he just enjoys this to know. So, you know, Frankie was really, really cool. Um, I'll go one further. How about this for uh, breaking the rules and and going outside of norms? Mm -hmm. There is a chapter, and it's based on a true event, okay, where it's loosely based on a chapter of the Twilight Zone. Uh, And what happened was... Um, you know, Frankie was a sound sleeper every night. You know, he, he slept and that's what he did. Julie, there was one night in all the years that we had him where he woke us up with a nightmare. I go over to him, and, and he's woofing and huffing, and you know his little legs are moving along fast and whatnot, and he's he's somewhere else. And I slowly wake him up, and you know he kind of his eyes roll over, and like wow. And Julie, the following day, we get a call. Our best friend, his previous master who had given him to us, mm. died of a heart attack that oh, night. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, how about that one? Yeah. And I did a little research, and it's, it's an old, seldom-known, I guess, idea, if you will. But I know it goes back to uh, the Samaritans and also some of the Native American tribes believe that when a man dies... His soul is supposed to seek out his dog in this world because the dog has better intuition on where to travel through the next world and where not to go. 
Oh. Again, the idea that dogs can see things that we don't. Yeah. So I, I try to, you know, th- this is going to be a book that you're going to re- buy to read to your child, but you're going to enjoy reading it too. Yes. If you're a dog person, you're going to be like, yeah, you know what? I, yeah, I get, I get with this. You know, I've seen things like that. And, and there's so many people who I've talked to along the way who have lost their dogs. And same situation as me. If you're in the house alone, you sometimes think you hear their uh, mm-hmm. footprints on the kitchen floor. You yes. sometimes think you catch a, a little glimpse of a shadow of them moving. And so a dog stays with you. I mean, the love mm-hmm. that people have for their dogs is so unconditional. You know, you'll, you'll never come home to a dog that was mad at you for something you did the day before. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the, the dog is always happy to see you. So um, I want to give your audience the uh, website. It's mm-hmm. www.dogs, plural, are, just the letter R, like rough, dogsaregoodpeople.com. And I'm updating it pretty regularly. I'm going to be putting some pictures up of me doing a reading at the Ronald McDonald House last week. Um, I'm on ske- or I'm trying to stay on schedule so that the book will be available by the end of October. Um, I'll tell you, I, I had the book um, previewed, or at least some of the chapters previewed by several people, uh, including pediatricians, my child's podiatrist. They were reading some of the chapters where, you know, Frankie gets, starts to get sick and, and is dealing with his own health issues. I had the last chapter read by uh, a young lady who is tasked with one of the most difficult jobs in the world. She works at the Millersville Animal Shelter. She's a remarkably compassionate young lady, her and her sister. They're tasked with putting a dog down when somebody brings them in to, to put them to sleep. Mm-hmm. And she read the last chapter, and she said, Joe, that this is... This is what people want to, you know, this explains my puppies very well, is is how she put it. You know, what you have to do. The idea of, you know, again, he's your best friend. You know, you got to do what you got to do. So, um, you know, it's not all uh, doom and gloom by any means. There's a lot of little, like I said, life lessons and anecdotes. I think Frankie will make you smile. He'll make you think. And uh, I think people love this book. I, you know, I, I hope for good things for it. And if uh, good things do start happening, my big plans mm-hmm. are to eventually uh, be able to produce a stuffed animal, Frankie, uh, with a little you know, working heartbeat that a child can hold and feel the heartbeat and maybe press his paw or press something. And he'd have these little sayings, you know, what would Frankie do? Have no fear, you know, um, just be you. Different things that might encourage a child because a couple of the chapters that I was writing, as I was writing it, I'm asking myself the question, if I was a a parent of a child who's facing surgery the following day, Mm -hmm. what do I read to the child to help, you know, help them cope with their fear and anxiety and and get them a good night's sleep? The, the, The attitude that you go into any challenge with is so important as to the positive outcome of that uh, situation. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping that I'm doing some good things, and eventually if I can get these little stuffed animals made up, I want to be able to give them out to uh, children in hospitals uh, all over the country, and who knows after that, you know, maybe I'll get across the pond one day and come and visit you um, personally. I would love to meet JC one day and hear even more of his stories about Frankie. In the dog world, Physical size has less influence than attitude, and Frankie had attitude in spades. We have all the links where you can find out more about Frankie and JC on the dogcastradio.com site. 
It's just the most amazing thing to love a dog, isn't it? It makes our relationships with people seem as boring as a bowl of oatmeal. John Grogan. Dogs can be incredibly noise sensitive, and a recent study has highlighted that shouting at your dog can have very unfortunate effects. The study at the University of Porto in Portugal into how companion dogs react to routine punishments reveals that programs which use even relatively mild punishments like yelling and leash jerking can stress dogs out, making them more pessimistic than dogs that experience reward-based training. So as we come towards the end of 2019, why not make one of your New Year's resolutions to ensure your training methods and all your interactions with your dog are as kind and reward-based as possible? That's it for this podcast and for this year. So I wish you a very happy and healthy holidays and a safe and secure 2020. And until next year, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's d o g c a s t radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Where does a dog leave his car while he does his Christmas shopping? In the barking lot.